You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Well, this is Christmas week and we've exchanged presents and I got my wife a vacuum sweeper. And before you get all worked up, I got her personal things and nice things too, but this is something we've been talking about for some time. And so I did my research and uh, I love to study things before I buy them. And, and over the past few weeks, months, I've kind of looked at various things and decided which one to buy. What was interesting is I found one website that was the most helpful. And it just had three questions. What does this thing do? And the answer was so simple. It, it just vacuums your house while you're doing other things. Does it all by itself. Well, question two, how? Well, it maps your house and it, there's a schedule that you set or it sets and it takes care of the vacuuming and then emptying, you know, what it picks up and so forth. And, and then why? Why would you even need one? Well, because if... You know, you're like most people, you probably don't vacuum the house enough. And even if you do, it's probably not picking up everything, dog hair and, you know, lint and, you know, dust and all that. And those things supposedly can create bacteria and cause illness. I don't know if that's true or not, but I bought it hook, line and sinker. Okay, so what, how, why? I thought that was the easiest thing for me to understand to help me make a decision, Now, at the same time I'm kind of studying and researching this, I'm also preparing this message over the last few weeks, thinking, how do do I want to start this next Romans section? And I realized, as I studied it, that Paul did exactly the same thing. In Romans 12, verse 1, which is the transition over, it is the biggest transition in all of Romans, is what we're studying today. And in this verse, Paul says, what should you do? How would you do it? And why should you do it? And it's like so simple, so obvious. I I put up here just so I'd remember to say it. My fear to you today is that we're going to dig in a little deep to these two verses. We're only doing two verses, but we're going to dig in a little deeper. And I don't want you to get caught up in all the details and the deeper stuff. When you feel like you're not quite getting it or if it's too deep at any point just say in your mind what how why that's what Paul wants us to understand so would you take your Bibles now and join me in Romans chapter 12 we're going to do verses 1 and 2 this is like the ideal New Year's resolution passage and I hope that some of you today will take these two verses to heart and it will become your challenge for 2024. By the way, I share that and I don't want to discourage you, but I just read again this week that over the last few years, they've studied, they surveyed the Americans who have made resolutions and they've determined this, that by February 1st, 95% have stopped. By March 1st, 99% have stopped. And so that means only 1% get past March the 1st. Now, we can be different. We can make a commitment here that says, this is going to be deeper. I'm going to keep this. I'm going to do this. 
And by the way, these two verses, they're perfect to start the new year with. So again, take your Bibles, sermon notes if you'd like to follow along, and let's dig in. Now, there's a couple things I want to share with you before we get into the Word today. And that is, first of all, as you came in today, you may have seen it. If not, grab them on your way out. We've provided for you a, a small gift, which is a calendar that you can put on your fridge or wherever at home, just to remind you not only about the dates, but more importantly, off to the side, it says 2024, a year of transition. As you know, this is a big year for Emmanuel, and uh, I'm excited about what's going to happen in this transition time. But I would simply say this is our gift, but it's also, when you see it, would you pray for us? Pray for our church leadership, the, uh, uh, the transition as it happens, Pastor Josh as he takes the lead in April. Uh, I just think this is an exciting time and we need to bathe it in prayer. So that's a gift and a reminder to you. Secondly, uh, we already told you about midweek classes. You need to sign up for them. They start in a week and a half. I have a class called uh, Grow Part 4. We study the book of Acts through the book of the Revelation. And uh, that'll begin on February the 2nd. We meet at the branch. We have about 78 seats available, and there's about 10 left. So if you have an interest in doing this, it's an odd time. 11.45 a.m. on Fridays to 1 o'clock. And sometimes people take lunch hours to do that. Whatever works for you, just making you aware of it. The only way to sign up is by using your church app. Thirdly, and now I'm going to make a big announcement, so buckle your seatbelts. There's a big change for us as a church, and I just want you to be aware of it. I want you to hear it from me. In 1984, the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible, was released. It wasn't immediately accepted and adopted by most churches. For, for instance, for myself, I spent the whole first 10 years of my ministry in the King James Bible. Now, in 85, 86, 87, some prominent names, including Billy Graham, started to promote the NIV and said, you know, churches should start to adopt it. And Emmanuel did. This is before I came here. Emmanuel adopted it. And so when I came in 1989, this was the translation that we used and have used basically since. But you may remember in 2011, there was an updated, newer translation uh, of the NIV and uh, we, we studied this, some of the elders and I, we just debated what should we do? Should we move to another translation? Should we just upgrade to the new one? Some people liked the changes, some people didn't like the changes. So it was kind of a questionable thing. But I think in 2012, we said, okay, we're going to the new NIV and most of us had to buy a new Bible because it didn't read exactly like the previous NIV. Now, beginning today, we are moving to the ESV. The ESV is the English Standard Version. I think it's probably the best version available today. Many of you know that even though I preached this past year through the NIV, through Romans in the NIV, yet I kept showing you the ESV, or sometimes the Young's, because I wanted you to see the actual translation. The NIV does a nice translation and very readable, but the ESV is kind of word-for-word -word translation, much more accurate. So beginning today, we're moving. Now, now, what's that mean for you? Well, if you're using a, your phone as your Bible, it simply means you're going to just switch from NIV to ESV on your options there, and you're good. You're good to go. Many of you use the sermon notes that we provide for you. They will always, from now on, they'll be in the ESV. Some of you like a paper Bible. I do too. So I ordered a new one this week, and 
it was cost me $16.21 or whatever. So it was very inexpensive, very nice Bible. I bought the large print edition. I'm thinking if I go to church and sit with older people, they might need to see it. So you might want to do the same. But if you need to get a, uh, an ESV, now's the time to do it because we are moving to it starting today throughout the rest of the year and who knows how many years into the future because we think it's the right translation. It's what I'll be using this morning. Okay, let's dig in. This is the passage that we're going to study today. I'm going to read the two verses. By the way, some of you memorized this in the King James. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Some of you learned it in the NIV. I put both of those translations on the back of your notes. This is the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and Perfect. What did we learn last year? Well, starting in actually October of 2022, but then January of 2023, we kind of worked our way through the book of Romans. And we learned that we're all sinners. In fact, one of our members sent me a Christmas gift this year. It's a coffee mug. Here it is. And it says, you're all naughty. Romans 3. And that's, that's a good thing to remember. That's what Romans taught us. We're all naughty. Now, as we continued our way through Romans, we learned that there is a cure for that sin, and that cure is Jesus Christ. And so, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we've learned. Then we continued even further into Romans, and we learned about that big word, sanctification, which is just meaning becoming more like Christ. And we learned that we need to be sanctified, and we all need to live more righteously, probably than we are now. And hopefully that's, we've put that into practice. Now, as I said to you earlier, this is the biggest shift in the whole book of Romans. Paul, for 11 chapters, has talked theology. I mean, deep theology. We all know that. We've studied it together. I, I was supposed to retire three years ago. Some of you remember and because of the pandemic, we go, went ahead and stretched it out another couple of years. I'm so glad we did because I've been so thankful I've been able to preach through Romans. On the other hand, it was the hardest preaching I have done in my ministry here. It's the hardest preparation because it was so deep and there was so much. In fact, I'm, I need retirement now. It's just, it was a lot of work, but boy, it was good stuff. But now... You come to Romans chapter 11, right at the end, and there's a shift. And Romans 12:1 starts not with theology, but with how to live your theology. Now that you know it, says Paul, here's how you live it. Let me just take you back real quickly, because this just might be a good reminder for you. Back about a month ago, before we started the Christmas series, we finished Romans 11. And this was the last verse, really, of Paul's teaching. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may, note this underlined, have mercy on them all. That's the big statement there. After 11 chapters, deep theology, Paul says, okay, if I can sum this up in a sentence, it's this. We're all sinners, but Christ has provided 
mercy to everyone. Now, that gets Paul all worked up. By the way, before I share that with you, let me just remind you. Who all are sinners? And this is the verses we kept looking at. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or if you're a slave or free. It doesn't matter. All of us are sinners. But God will show mercy to all of us if we ask. Now, when Paul kind of concluded with that statement on mercy, then he got caught up in a song. I mean, he just got so excited about this, they just began to sing. Now, I don't know if it's literal singing, but here's what he wrote. Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways, for, he has known, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, that's a benediction. Paul ends Romans 1 to 11 with a benediction. That's not the teaching. That's the benediction. It's powerful. By the way, I have in your notes, this statement on God's mercy just got Paul to the point that he says, I, I, sorry, I got to stop and pray. I got to stop and sing. And he gives us these few verses. Now, that brings us to Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, 14th time in the book of Romans that we've studied so far that Paul has used the word therefore. This is the biggest one. This is by far the biggest one because this is the biggest change. He's said so many times now, this is what you should know, therefore, this is what you should do. But now, he says, I've given you 11 chapters of theology. Therefore, you need to put it into practice. By the mercies of God. I want to take you back here <clears throat> again to what I showed you just a few minutes ago, what I showed you a month ago. God, Paul concluded this whole section with this verse. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. His very next words, take the doxology out. That was the doxology. His very next words of teaching is this. I appeal to you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God. In other words, the last thing he said was, God will have mercy on you. Now he says, now because of those mercies, what should you do? It's a wonderful connection. Now let me finish that thought. We are now told specifically what we should do. One thing now, how to do that is going to be multiple things. We're going to study that from now through April. But the one thing is offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And I assume, and I kind of hope, unless you've studied it in detail before, that you would say, what does that mean? Because that should be your natural action. Living sacrifices is a phrase never used anywhere else in the Bible, only here. It's Paul's clever little statement, little two-word connection, so that you can understand what you're supposed to do. Now, why would you give your bodies? So every day I should offer my body, my flesh to God as a living sacrifice. Why? Well, because number one, my inside is already perfect. It's already changed. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When you became a Christian, you got a whole new inside. Most of us kind of wished for a new outside too. That doesn't happen until the end of time or until you die. 
The, the flesh is not taken care of. But the inside, you already got a new inside. Secondly, you should offer your bodies because it is unredeemed. Your outside is still what causes you to sin. We've learned about that, particularly in Romans chapter 8. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Maybe some of you remember back some months ago, I preached to a sermon on three different groans, groaning. We learned that the Spirit groans. We learned that creation groans. And then there was one more thing that groans. Do you remember what it was? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of Son, the redemption of our bodies. I can't wait till my body is perfect like my spirit, my inside. We should offer our bodies as living sacrifices because our bodies belong to God. They're God's temple. And so if my body is God's temple, then I want to do everything I can to keep it as pure and holy as I can. Now, why the term living sacrifices? Well, for several reasons. Number one, you have to be a living sacrifice, which, by the way, we'll talk about that in a moment. That's an oxymoron. But you have to be a living sacrifice because the era of blood sacrifice is done. It's finished. Now, I know some of you might say to me, what, but the Bible says Israel will kind of rebuild their temple and start sacrificing again before the end of time. Yes, I understand. But that won't affect you. That won't affect Christians. Blood sacrifices was completed when Christ died on the cross. The last altar ever used was the cross of Jesus Christ. When he died, it's done. I know some of you say, but I grew up in a church that had an altar in the front. No, you didn't. You grew up in a church that might have had a, what we call an altar rail or an altar table. But I, unless, you know, you had a very different church, you'll have to come tell me afterwards. I don't think any of you grew up in a church where up front you had an altar where you took dead animals and you put them there and burned them. You see, that's an altar. Where something dies for the sake of something else that's an altar. And the last one in Christianity was the cross. Secondly, the sacrifice of dead animals was ineffective. All throughout the Old and New Testaments, the Bible says, hey, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away your sins. Do you remember the word in the Old Testament? The word instead of forgiving or taking away was atonement or atone. And that means to cover. So you killed an animal and you would spread its blood, and see, the blood was supposedly to cover your sin so that God would not see your sin. That was our picture of it. Now, when you get to the New Testament, you have John the Baptist saying to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So you see, he's the only one that's effective. Thirdly, or the third thing you should know about this living sacrifice is that it is an oxymoron. And the problem with a living sacrifice is they have a choice. So you take a, a lamb, for instance, and you say, I want to offer this lamb to God as a sacrifice. And you take that lamb alive and you lay it on the altar and then you light a fire. What's the lamb going to do? Well, the lamb's going to run. If, it is a, it's, if it's able to run, it's going to take off because nothing is going to give themselves up freely. But Paul says that's what you do. You daily become a living sacrifice. By the way, 
even though it's a brand new phrase, nobody else ever uses that phrase in the Bible. It's not a new concept. What did Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now you see, a cross kills you. But Jesus was saying, no, you'll keep living each day, but every day give your life to me. Be a living sacrifice. Becoming a living sacrifice is your best personal worship. When do you feel closest to the Lord? For many of you, you'd say, well, when I come to church and we get to singing and worshiping God, and maybe it's one of my favorite songs, and we're standing, and I'm singing loud, and I raise my hands, and I, get, I feel so close to the Lord then. Good, that's, that's a great thing. Some of you would say, this is what I would say, when I'm driving in my car, and I have my favorite Christian music on, and I'm singing at the top of my lungs, and nobody can hear me, that's what I like. And then I get caught up in it, and I get so excited about my worship. But Paul says, oh, that's good. Those worship times are good, but your best spiritual worship is when every morning you get up and say, God, I'm yours. Use me as you want today. I'm yours. That's a living sacrifice. Now, verse two then says how and why. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. After explaining what to do, now Paul shares with you how. Because I don't know about you, if someone says to me, you ought to be a living sacrifice, I'd say, okay, how? That's what we have in verse two. First, don't conform to the ways of the world. The world as a whole, as you know, is not living a godly life. The world, I've said this to you many times before, the world is upside down. And Christ was right side up. And we need to live more like him. But most of us are living like the world. Let me ask you this. Studies have shown that Christians' lives are pretty much identical to people who are not believers. For instance, what they watch on TV or movies seems to be no difference. The kind of language or conversation they're involved in seems to be very little difference. The way they use their money, their time, very little difference. In other words, Christians are living like the world. Paul says, don't do it. Stop it. Do not be conformed to the world. I would just pause and just ask you, how are you doing? Do you look like someone who's living differently than the world? If we watched you for a day, a week, would we say, ah, that person, they're different? Or would you just look like the rest of the world? So first of all, don't conform. Secondly, be transformed. So how do you get transformed? It's not the way people often think. I realize for some of you, this, is, this part's gonna be difficult. How do you think you'd get transformed? Well, some would say it's going to a legalistic church or getting involved in a legalistic situation where I, I keep the letter of the law, the way I dress, the way I eat, the way I do anything. No, you can choose to do that. That's not a problem. That's your choice, but it will not transform you. It will just transform what people see. Secondly, some people say what's well, done by worship and liturgy. When I get caught up in worship, I just, I'm changed. 
And I agree. But you're changed in that moment. And then you turn around and walk out of church and you might not be any different than you were when you came in. So it transforms you for a moment, but not very long. Thirdly, some people would say it's done by practicing Christian disciplines. I think that's good. In fact, most New Year's sermons I would preach to you would say, we need to read the Bible, we need to pray, we need to fast, we need to be you know, involved in silence, uh, solitude, maybe you know, devotions, whatever. Christian disciplines. Those things are wonderful. And they will benefit you, but they will not transform you. Here's the big one, and this is for many evangelicals, this is the tough one. Many people think it's by committing or recommitting and re, 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 recommitting your life to Jesus Christ. And in fact, that's how I grew up, and I imagine many of you are in the same boat. I became a Christian as a young man, and it was real to me. It was so real that I said, I, I want to live for Christ. And I would live for a few days a week and really live, you know, better. But I'd still sin. And then next week we'd go to church and someone would say, well, if you're still sinning, come on up front. And I'd go up and I'd recommit and I'd recommit. And every time I'd do it, I'd think, this time it's going to take. Never took. I never lived perfectly. And I wish, someone, when I, I wish someone when I was a boy would have come up to me and said, no, no, you don't need to recommit your life. You already did that. All you need to do is live as a holy life as you can. You, you can't be perfect in this life because you still live in flesh. That's what Romans says. That's what Romans 8 tells us. I wish someone would have said to me, you don't have to keep doing that. Just live as righteously as you can live. So if I say none of these things will transform you, what will? Well, Paul says it's, it's easy. Being transformed is done by the renewing of your mind. If you change your thinking, you change your actions. If I tell you to do something, you go out and do it for a day or two. But if you determine in your mind that this is the right way, you will probably keep doing it. How is your mind transformed? By, obviously, uh, coming to church and worshiping and reading, you know, studying scriptures together, Bible studies, your personal de devotional or reading time. It's your thinking that has to be changed. And when that happens, you can be transformed. By the way, this is not new. Let me take you back to the Old Testament. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When I get your word in my head, it changes my thinking and I, I sin less. Or Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. Or Ephesians, until we all reach the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Knowledge. You see, a lot of us don't like to talk about knowledge. It doesn't seem as spiritual. It seems more spiritual to raise your hand at the end of the service and say, I want to recommit. But you know, the real spiritual thing is to change your thinking, to be in God's word and change your thinking. I know. It's not what we've been taught. One of my favorites is the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter, who wrote these words. And by the way, Simon Peter is building a little tower, and he starts with the base and keeps adding building blocks. I'm not going to go through them. I'll just show you the first three. For the very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Okay, faith is at the bottom. That's the building. That's the foundation 
of being a Christian. You're not a Christian until you have faith. And after you have faith, you should add to that virtue. In other words, trying to live more like Christ. That's virtue. And the very next thing you add, by the way, there's four or five more things. But the very next thing you add is knowledge. Why? Because you will not be transformed unless you change your thinking. That's critical. And again, after we learn what, what should you do? Living sacrifice. How would you do it? Don't be conformed, don't act like the world, but be transformed by changing your thinking. Why? Well, it's, it's because you want to discern what is the will of God. I hope that that's your heart's desire. What's the number one question that pastors get? I mean, I've been in ministry a long time. I can tell you mine, but I've learned that basically every pastor says the same thing. The number one question they get, how do I know God's will? I get that all the time. Young lady, you'll come up to me and say, I'm dating a guy. I think he could be the one, but how do I know if God says he's the one? We're buying a new house. We're getting, looking at taking a new job. How do I know if it's the right day? Is this God's will? You, you, you all are doing it. I'm doing it. How do you know? You know, my answer to you should be memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2 and live it. You got it. Because then you will know the will of God. Now, does that mean you'll make every decision perfectly? No, because we're still frail as humans. But you'll do way better. You don't need me to know God's will. You need to change your thinking. We're going to invite our worship team up. And we're going to sing a benediction to close. But before we do, I'd just like to pause. And I'd like to review with you what we learned today. Because I know there was a lot of material. Maybe it was overwhelming. But if I could make it as simple as possible, it would be this. The Apostle Paul tells me in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that there's one thing that I should do in 2024. And it's every day I should be a living sacrifice. Wow. Okay. So what's a living sacrifice? Well, how would I do it? You would do it by looking at how the world lives and deciding I'm going to live differently. And then you would stay in the word. And you would transform your thinking. And that would help you be a living sacrifice. And by the way, what would be the result of that? If I did that, what would I, what would I gain? Well, you'll know the will of God. And you'll be able to live in it. And nothing makes a Christian more fulfilled than living within God's will. That's my challenge for you for 2024. Memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2. Live it. And I think your life will be transformed. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray over you a benediction. And then we're going to sing that same benediction to close. So will you stand with me for prayer? Our Father in heaven, what a joy it is to be able to come and sing praises to your name. What a joy to read the words of scripture and realize that you have given us the answers that we need. Forgive us for failing to dig into them. But bless us today, Father, because we have taken the time to unpack these words, and I pray, Father, you'd help us to live them. I pray for each person here that you'd help us to sense where you're leading us in the coming year. 
And through your Holy Spirit, you would guide us to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Yevarechacha Adonai v'yishmerecha. Yeir Adonai panav eleka v'kuneka. Yesa Adonai panav eleka v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. And together we say, amen.